0: howdy before we begin today we just want to say we're glad that so many of you joined us for the texas rising experience and this is the first of many of descriptions that we're going to try to go in and break down uh, the game film on some of these major characters and give you the real history on some of the finer points of texas rising and so this is emily west today we hope you'll love it and a special thank you to our new patrons if you want to support the show why not go to patreon.com slash Podcast and support this show so we can come back every week and tell you about Texas history. Without further ado, here's the show. You know, that would be a great name it would if uh, History Channel would have just called it the highly informal Texas Rising. <laughs> <laughs> Howdy. You're listening to Come and Take It, a talk show about Texas by Texans, where three friends born and raised in the Lone Star State share our views on the history, culture, and just what it means to be Texan. I'm Mike Zolkoski. I'm Sean McIver. And I'm Scott Elfstrom. There's a yellow rose in Texas that I am going to see. Nobody else could miss her, not half as much as me. She cried so when I left her, it like to broke my heart. And if I ever find her, we never more will part. This week, we're looking at Emily West. And the legend of the Yellow Rose of Texas. But first, what's your favorite item to purchase at a Bucky's? Well, um, they've got a lot
1: of great things at Bucky's, um, but one of my favorite things to get there is their BLT. It's their Texas BLT that's got a big, it's on Texas toast, and it's got big thick slabs of smoked bacon and kind of a
2: some kind of herb mayonnaise that's just delicious. Mmm, herbs. Well, I'm going to go with the Bucky Bites, because they're caramely and delicious. Well, you know, I uh, I just realized, I, I don't know that I've ever
0: stopped in a Bucky's, or bought anything there. Well, you've never been to Six Flags either, but that didn't stop you from talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> Throughout June, we spent a lot of time recapping the History Channel's Texas Rising miniseries. And one of the key characters in the series was Emily West, played by British actress Cynthia Adai Robinson. Now, in the show, Emily West is a slave who survives the Battle of the Alamo, has a romantic relationship with Sam Houston, infiltrates the Mexican army to seduce and spy on Santa Ana, and becomes the inspiration for the folk song The Yellow Rose of Texas. Now, despite Ade Robinson's fine performance, anyone who took seventh grade Texas history knows just how far this is from the real story of Emily West. But what we learned in school. And what we actually know about Emily West and her connection to this song,
2: truth and legend have become almost indistinguishable. So what do we know about Emily West and the Yellow Rose of Texas? Let's start with the legend first. For many years, the most commonly accepted story was that Emily West, sometimes Morgan, was a mulatto or mixed-race slave from a Texan named James Morgan, who was an officer in Houston's army. During the runaway scrape, she was captured by the Mexican army The beautiful girl caught Santa Anna's eye and he made her his mistress. She so entranced the general that on the fateful day of San Jacinto, he was in bed with her during the siesta time when Houston's army struck and destroyed the Mexican forces. She disappeared into history, but not before her story inspired the lyrics of the folk song, The Yellow Rose of Texas. But in fact, this is only legend with very little fact to back it up. And the real story is how a nugget of fact and a nibble of hearsay conflated to become such a pillar of the Texas legacy.
1: The earliest reference to the idea that Santa Ana's defeat at San Jacinto was the result of him being in flagrante delicto was from the diaries of English ethnologist William Bollert, who visited the Republic of Texas in 1842. In an entry marked private, he wrote, The Battle of San Jacinto was probably lost to the Mexicans owing to the influence of a melodic girl, Emily, belonging to Colonel James Morgan, who was closeted in the tent with General Santa Anna at the time when the cry was made The enemy, they come, they come, and detained Santana so long that order could not be restored again. The more extraordinary fact is that the diary seems to indicate that the source of this story was none other than Sam Houston himself, or at least from a letter written by Houston to one of Bollart's friends. Bullard's diaries of his travels in Texas were not published in his lifetime, but after the turn of the century became part of the collection of Chicago's Newberry Library. Texas historians were aware of the journals and occasionally referenced them for other academic work, but in 1956, at the height of Crockett mania, they were published as William Bullard's Texas, and they were very popular.
0: This is the point where this story enters the popular imagination. One of the people who latched onto this book and the story was a publicist for Texas A&M University, a former journalist, and an amateur historian named Henderson Shuffler. What a great name, by the way.
2: Henderson Shuffler. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Shuffler was fascinated by this story and was convinced it was true and that this, quote, unsung Texas heroine should be sung. He looked into the various folk songs, including Will You Come to the Bower, an old Scots-Irish folk tune that was well known to have been sung by the Texans at San Jacinto. But he soon focused his attention on the Yellow Rose of Texas, which had become a hit the previous year for country singer Mitch Miller. He reached out to folklorist John Lomax Jr. with the idea that this song grew up around the stories of this girl Emily, who must have been a mixed race or... Yellow, as they were sometimes known at the time. In a letter to Lomax in 1960, he said, If there is not, as I still suspect, a remote connection between the story of Emily and the original folk version of The Yellow Rose of Texas, then there well should be.
2: <laughs> the problem with this theory is that there's not a shred of primary evidence that the song is related to Emily. The earliest printing of the song was in 1853, when it was published by the Christie Minstrel Group in Christie's Plantation Melodies number no. 2. The original published lyrics, warts and all, y'all, this is a minstrel song. Um, it goes, there's a yellow girl in Texas that I'm going down to see. No other darkies know her. No darkie only me. She cried so when I left her that it like to broke my heart. And if I only find her, we never more will part. The chorus says, she's the sweetest girl of color that this darkie ever knew. Her eyes as bright as diamonds and sparkle like the dew. You may talk about your dearest May and sing of Rosalie, but the yellow rose of Texas beats the bells of Tennessee. Where the Rio Grande is flowing and the starry skies are bright, she walks along the river in the quiet summer night. She thinks if I remember when we parted long ago, I promised to come back again and not to leave her so. Oh, now I'm going to find her for my heart is full of woe. We'll sing the song together that we sung so long ago. We'll play the banjo gaily and we'll sing the songs of yore and the yellow rose of Texas shall be mine forevermore. Now, there's no evidence anywhere that this wasn't the first version of the song, but it wasn't until recently that evidence did come out that the song was actually written by a minstrel banjoist and composer named John Kelly. Now, whatever the case, it wasn't a folklore song. It was a song written for a minstrel troupe. Over the years, the lyrics changed here and there. In 1858, the standalone sheet music was published with changes to the first line, making it, There's a yellow rose in Texas to match the other part of the song. And during the Civil War, there were entire stanzas added to the lyrics, and the connotations changed from being the first-person perspective of a slave to just a general person from Texas or wanting to go to Texas. Over the years, uh, it was recorded by country singers such as Roy Rogers, Gene Autry, and even Elvis Presley.
1: The song did become indelibly linked with Texas, though. In 1892, Governor James Hogg wore a yellow rose in his lapel when he ran for re-election, and by the turn of the century, most references to race were removed from the song. Still, in no version of the song at any point before the 1950s is there any reference to Emily, Santa Ana, San Jacinto, Sam Houston, the Texas Revolution, or any particular person at all. In fact, The only Texas reference besides saying the girl is in Texas is to the Rio Grande, which to everyone but the producers of Texas Rising or to Steven Spielberg is hundreds of miles away from anywhere that the Texas Revolution was fought. Texas
0: geography, (laughs) y'all. Well, this didn't deter Shuffler at all. He related his theory to his friend journalist Frank Tolbert of the Dallas Morning News, who wholeheartedly published the story as a fact in his popular book, quote, an Informal History of Texas in 1961. Very, he ra- very yeah. informal. Opinion. Highly informal. Yeah. <laughs> highly informal. You know, that would be a great name It would if uh, History Channel would have just called it the Highly Informal Texas Rising. <laughs> <laughs> so he wrote, quote, And what became of Emily, she lived to tell her story and to inspire a wonderful song Musical historians seem to agree that the folk song, The Yellow Rose of Texas, was inspired by a good-looking mulatto slave girl, and in one set of original lyrics, not the ones popularized by Mitch Miller, the girl of the song is called Emily, the maid of Morgan's Point. Well, good news, folks.
2: Journalism isn't dead. (laughs) No. No. No, it's not. (laughs) Well, unfortunately, there's not a single shred of evidence for any of this. Uh, Tobert later said that Scheffler and Lomax were the sources of his claims but he never actually produced the original set of lyrics uh, that substantiated any such link, and nor could anyone produce any evidence that there was any such thing as, quote, Emily, the maid of Morgan's Point. Still, even as other scholars questioned the veracity of the story, others took up its defense. Shuffler's defense of his theory was so vigorous, as was that of the press and other Texas folklorists who liked the story, that people just started to accept that the story was part of old-time Texas. In the early 1970s, Martha
1: Ann Turner, an author and professor at Sam Houston State University, published several articles and later wrote a book called The Yellow Rose of Texas, Her Saga and Her Song. She wrote it about Emily Morgan, as that's what she was known by at that point. Turner accepted the theory that the story was real and that it was the inspiration to the song, and produced as proof what she claimed was a manuscript of the lyrics signed with the initials HBC from before 1838. Her proof that this was from 1838 was that it was in a letter found in the A. Henry Moss Papers at the University of Texas, without a postal cancellation. So there wasn't really any concrete proof what the date was. Turner concluded that it had to have been delivered by Courier before the establishment of the Republic of Texas' postal system in 1838. There was no other documentation provided to further verify her claims. The manuscript itself is actually identical to the published 1858 sheet music lyrics.
0: Professor Turner's Leap of Logic, when combined with Shuffler's and Tolbert's writings, largely locked the story into place for the popular imagination, even while it baffled Texas historians and folklorists. In 1976, some evidence was unearthed that seemed to at least back up the existence of a mulatto girl named Emily. A letter was discovered in the Texas State Archives from a San Jacinto officer named Isaac Moreland, requesting a passport on behalf of an Emily D. West. It read, The bearer of this, Emily D. West, has been since my first acquaintance with her in April of 36, a free woman. She immigrated to this county with Colonel James Morgan from the state of New York in September of 35 and is now anxious to return and wishes a passport. I believe myself that she is entitled to one and has requested me to give her this note to you, your obedient servant, Ian Moreland. Her free papers were lost at San Jacinto, as I am informed and believe of April 36, Moreland.
2: So who was Emily D. West? Was this the evidence that conclusively proved that Bollert's story was true? Unfortunately, we know very little about this woman. In 1991, the original contract with James Morgan was found, but these two documents are actually the only primary or even anecdotal information we have on her. West was a resident of New Haven, Connecticut, who signed a contract with Texas columnist James Morgan on October 1835 to a 12-month agreement of indentured servitude. This was for $100 that would be paid out every three months during the year. The document was witnessed by noted New Haven abolitionist, Reverend Simeon Jocelyn. We don't know how old Emily was at the time, but in the 1830 Connecticut census, Reverend, Reverend Jocelyn was listed as having a, quote, free colored female between the ages of 10 and 24 in his household. So if this was Emily, then she would have been between 15 and 39 when she went to Texas. So,
1: We know when Emily West was working for James Morgan as an indentured servant at the time of the Revolution. James Morgan certainly was an officer at San Jacinto who'd founded the town of Morgan's Point. If Emily needed free papers, then she was at least of mixed race and, per Colonel Moorhead, she was at San Jacinto. Outside of these two documents, though, there's no other evidence of who this Emily was, what she was doing, or where she went after she returned to the United States. Over the years, in
0: absence of real evidence, the conjecture grew around Emily and her role in the events of San Jacinto. Morgan was a shareholder, along with Texas's first vice president and former Mexican politician, Lorenzo de Zavala, in the new Washington Association, which built a hotel and some warehouses on Galveston Bay near the San Jacinto battle site. It was conjectured that Emily was in New Washington at either Morgan's hotel or his warehouse and was seized by Santa Ana's forces as they passed through in pursuit of Zavala and his family. Some stories have her heroically directing the loading of flatboats to get supplies out of the hands of the Mexican army. And of course, the narrative was always driven towards getting her into Santa Ana's bed and distracting him long enough for Houston's forces to get the jump
2: on the dictator. (laughs) Get the jump. (laughs) Uh, Puns are great. Yeah. By the mid-1980s, as Texas approached its sesquicentennial, you guys remember that, that, right? I love that word. Yep. Now this, so this narrative was firmly in place by this point. Books, articles, movies, and countless retellings at Texas' historical sites had entrenched the story and added to it each time. In 1985, there even was a hotel open in San Antonio named the Emily Morgan Hotel. It was right across the street from the Alamo. And it was open in celebration to the woman who was now famous in Shuffler's words as, quote, the Mata Hari of Texas. Um, but even so, Texas historians continue to challenge this narrative. Most notably, author Stephen L. Hardin wrote in his classic on the Texas Revolution, The Texian Iliad, quote, There is not a scintilla of primary evidence to support the oft-repeated myth that Santa Ana was engaged in a tryst with the mulatto slave girl, Emily Morgan.
1: In the 1990s, the arguments got even stronger. Historian James Lutzweiler and James Crisp added greatly to both establishing that there was a real Emily West and casting doubt on the veracity of Bollert's story. Lutzweiler was able to find evidence that Houston's letter in 1842, if it was written, was done so shortly after Houston visited the deathbed of Colonel Moreland. Colonel Moreland could very well have related the story of finding Colonel Morgan's indentured servant held captive by the Mexican army after the battle was over. Even Houston's staunchest biographers noted that Houston was never above letting the truth get in the way of a good
0: story. That seems to be common among our Texan heroes.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Hardin also later stated, quote, My view is that if Santa Ana had been having a tryst and that had been a factor in their losing the battle, his critics would surely have used that information against him. In the wake of San Jacinto, as well as after his numerous other falls from power, Santa Ana had plenty of critics, even among the officers serving under him. Not one of them mentioned Santa Ana doing anything other than sleeping on that fateful afternoon. The fact that this story cannot be verified in any other publicly available source prior to the 1940s is pretty strong
2: evidence that it just didn't happen. Author Denise McVeigh developed a controversial alternative theory to the Emily Morgan one in her book, Making Myth of Emily, Emily West de Zavala and the Yellow Rose of Texas. McVeigh's book posits that the Emily West who was at San Jacinto was, in fact, Emilia de Zavala, the wife of Lorenzo de Zavala. Emilia was born Emily West, a young American woman from a prominent family in New York who married the charismatic Mexican politician. McVeigh argues that Emilia was captured by Mexican forces from her home on the Buffalo Bayou, even though most other sources have her barely escaping with her children from the Mexican cavalry sent to capture them. McVeigh also uses anecdotal evidence and inference to go a step forward with conjecture that Emilia was actually of mixed race herself. Now, since the book was published in 1995, there's been extensive debate about the subject, but it's an interesting theory at least.
1: Yeah, so this leaves us with three distinct theories about Emily West. Two Emilys, Emily West and Emily de Zavala. One Emily, that there was no Emily West or that she wasn't at San Jacinto. And no Emily, that the Yellow Rose of Texas legend is just that, a myth that serves to explain Santa Ana's lapses in judgment and rather trivialize the remarkable feat that Houston and his army accomplished.
0: For the most part, by the 2000s, most serious academics supported the last theory and also were firmly set against the notion that even if true, that there was any link between Emily West and the Yellow Rose of Texas. In 2001, Texas Folklore Society secretary and editor F.E. Abernathy wrote that, quote, the Emily-Yellow Rose of Texas connection was good copy and journalists jumped on it like a duck on a June bug, in feature stories and Sunday supplements. He also fully acknowledged the part that the Folklore Society had played as recent as 1996 with perpetuating both myths. Still, as is common with so many things related to Texas, people sometimes opt for a preferable, if less than precise, rendering of the past. Myth and legend are hard things to let go of, and as we all know, when in doubt, print the legend. It's a a good
1: story, you know, and it's a little bit sad that it took Texas Rising to really drum up my interest in this story, right? It's like, because most of my life is just a song, you know, that I'd heard, and I never really learned much about the history of this person. But, you know, watching Texas Rising and how ludicrous it was that it just didn't seem like it was a real thing to me. I'd never heard it before. I was like, what? That's not how Texas won the battle, you know? Well,
0: the, the whole thing for me started with it was that she performed these um both inconsistent sexual acts and also these amazing like acts of like spy craft in, in a time where eh, I don't know that, you know, it just, it was very hard to swallow. And then on, and then they capped it off by like having a sing along in the bar where she's standing right there and they sing the yellow rose of Texas. And it was just like, okay, I'm putting a little too fine a point on this. And yeah. when then I was like, Oh, well this was written many years later and this doesn't make any sense. But then You know our our faithful, you know history nerd Sean really got in there and ferreted out, and he was like, "Oh my God, it's all a fabrication! (laughs) It's all lies!"
2: Yeah, and that's the thing is that uh, I think it's interesting. There's a couple of things interesting about this, and and I don't want to diminish what the real because she did exist. The real Emily West may have gone through. We don't have any firm evidence. We know that she was at San Jacinto's and there was probably no reason for her to be there, except that she got ca- captured by the Mexicans. Yep. So we don't want to diminish that. She probably suffered a great ordeal in that whole experience. But um, it, it just is, it was such a logical leap. I think it's more fascinating. The story is the story. That's really the fascinating story and the, and the creation of a Texas myth that you have the all the evidence for the literal creation of a Texas myth. Well, that to me is fascinating. Yeah. And
1: I think it's, if nothing else, it's an interesting uh, confluence and coincidence of events, right? It's like here's this real person, Emily, that kind of was tangentially related to events that were happening at the time. And then there just happens to be this minstrel bar song, basically, Mm -hmm. that came out about the same time. And, you know, whoever wrote this, the guy that wrote the song, could have just written it about somebody he knew in a particular. Mm -hmm. You know, saloon or whatever. You know, it's like there's no evidence that it's related to an actual person. It just could just be a coincidence of history.
2: It's just a love song. It's just from a different perspective and a a very different, jarring style than what we're used to. But it's still. And and the thing about it is, is that it is a work of the music itself is a lovely tune. It's an absolutely gorgeous melody. Well, I don't want to cast aspersions on
0: Texans in general, but. Uh, we did do an episode a while back about the myths and legends of Texas. And, you know, I mean, people still think that it's illegal to pick blue bonnets on the side of the road. And why? <laughs> because that's what their teacher told them when they were in yeah. grade school. And, right. and and there's so many of these things that we we learned about just doing this project uh, where it was like, oh, I always thought that, you know, this was that way for this reason that I was taught about. And you learn that, oh no, it's, it's like a, 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 generational game of telephone
1: yeah yeah well and i think that just gets to the root of what we're you know one of the things we try to do which is like okay here's this story that we've always learned how much let's dig into it and find out how much of that is actual truth and how much of it is legend and let's find out what that interesting story is behind the legend because nine times out of ten if not ten times out of ten the actual real story behind something is just as interesting if not more interesting than you know what everybody talks
0: about Well, you can do that, Scott, but I would rather just take the legend, do absolutely no research, (laughs) and fabricate a ten-hour miniseries around something that has zero basis in history.
2: (laughs) Well, yeah, it's like they, yeah, they took the they took the legend, which has very little. They conflated the legend with Mata Hari for real. It went wild, (laughs) wild. Yeah, the whole, the whole. Sam Houston was in a relationship with her in New Orleans, and and ooh, ooh. Candles and bats. Yes. Candles, Candles and, bats. and bats and a brother that didn't exist. And like, oh, she was wow. in the Alamo too
0: while we're at it. You know what? Yes, she now? was
2: at the Alamo. <laughs> Whoa.
0: This is how okay, Hollywood. I hope you're listening, Hollywood. This is how Speed Two got made.
2: <laughs>
0: Let's do it again on a boat. What? We can't get that guy. Let's get someone else. Let's add it. Let's make it bigger and more exciting.
2: Yeah.
0: No, I so I I do understand and I appreciate what you said, Sean, about there there was a real person, probably maybe. And if she did, she suffered greatly. And we should not diminish that sacrifice. However, like wow, what an interesting what an interesting little tiny myth that has got blown into the legend that has been spun into what is considered a historical truth.
2: Yeah. Well and to yes, (laughs) I'm I'm very impressed with the website of the Emily Morgan Hotel because they do have a little page about the history of Emily Morgan, they t- they t- say that you know she's Emily West, they, and they do put out there that it's probably as much legend as anything else. So I, they, I was... they at least they at least don't. They, there's a lot of sites out there that perpetuate uh, to perpetuate the myth. I, there's there's one there's a couple of things I've seen that actually seem to be printing um, the story from a couple of fictional books written in the 1980s about her uh, children's books. Including one with another slave boy who uh, who told Sam Houston that the Mexicans were having a siesta, and he said, "Well, I'll catch him napping or something and like but it was printed as fact. so if you're going to take your stuff from a historical fiction from the 1980s, you probably want to do a little more research.
0: The other thing that really shocked me then um, was when you came back with the connection uh, to Zavala, mm-hmm. And then, oh, there's another person with almost the exact same name who was in the exact same area (laughs) and may have been involved. So I just, will, without a time machine, are we ever going to know the answer to this? Is there some mystery document rolled up in a dusty, like, (laughs) knotted pine tree somewhere in East Texas that will get unearthed?
2: It's entirely possible. I mean, uh, Bollard's diaries sat, uh, he didn't ever publish them in his lifetime, and it wasn't until... The, after the turn of the century that it was even read by anybody outside of his family and it was and, in, in chicago it wasn't in it texas was in, so. yeah, it was in chicago it was actually the first first time this made it into the academia this story was a footnote in a very small print run book about gail borden and uh but um so that's set for nearly you know nearly a century after it was written before anybody actually read it the document uh the document that that from Moreland was not unearthed until the 76, the the contract for indentured servitude to 91. So it is entirely possible that there's a document, there's a diary or a, Hey, look, you guys from pickers from American pickers or from, uh, from storage wars, <laughs> huh. keep your eye out for old Texas documents. And maybe if you can prove that yellow Rose of Texas was inspired by Emily West, then, or or Emily De then go for it and knock yep. yourself out.
0: I'm sure the History Channel will play a big bounty for that. <laughs>
2: <laughs> prove us wrong, America. <laughs> Especially if you can prove that Emily West was in a relationship with Sam Houston. Because that's the kicker right there. Then they can say, look, boy, Texas oh boy. Rising was history. Oh man. <laughs> or if you can find yeah, or if you can find Bigfoot's risk clasp that was yeah.
0: Yeah. Well. <laughs> uh, yeah texas ranger jewelry on the next come and take it uh, well this has been a great look at um a, one of the major characters of texas rising who is actually a fairly minor footnote of history for the longest time but, um, but we do
2: think we do think that Cynthia Ada Robinson was wonderful at least i did. The, i thought she was very no very
0: good she the show. again i I'm going to say one little thing on this. And this is, I think agreed between all of us is that Texas rising great casting director. You did a great yes. job casting these people. Yes. And these were fantastic actors. <laughs> were given <laughs> direct to work with from a historical <laughs> point of view. Yeah. So we don't blame you guys. We blame that the script producers guy. And writers, yeah. Producers and writers. That wraps things up for today. You can find notes and links from today's show at brainstaple.com. We'd love to hear from you. So like and share us on Facebook, follow the show on Twitter at Texas Podcast, or go to brainstaple.com and leave some feedback. You can find our show and many other great history podcasts at historypodcasters.com. Why not follow us individually? I'm on Twitter at Mr. Java. I'm Max Sean with two Ns. And I'm Scotticus. You love this show. You know it. Admit it. Just tell everyone you know. And leave a review on iTunes, because that helps us out, and it helps us to find new listeners just like you. We hope you'll join us next time, and remember that even if you aren't from Texas, Texas wants you anyway.